everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Homegrown Power. I'm Jasmine Leva. And I'm Pasita Rudder. And this podcast is all about cultural strategy. So for me, culture and art is really important because I'm a writer and a creative, and I'm also a queer woman of color. Besides all of that, I am a cultural strategist for Power California. How about you, Jasmine? Yeah, so same. I love arts. I love culture, music, everything that has to do with popular culture. Like, I'm just fascinated by it, right? But, you know, being a daughter of immigrants, a queer Latinx woman, um, I organize with young people in rural communities in the Central Valley. I'm also the campaign manager um, with Act for Women and Girls in Visalia. So when we say cultural strategy, what do you think of? Yeah, when I think of cultural strategy, I think about the ways that um, we consume messages and convey messages about who we are, about political ideas. I mean, there's such a rich history of art um, in our political movements, you know. Um, I think it's a way that we express anger, a way to express pride, right? The way that we can see ourselves reflected out in the world, Um, but it also can shape how we think about other people. Cultural strategy has a way of shifting culture over a large scale. So when I think of cultural strategy, I don't just think of the art that's created or the music or the dancing, but I think about the way that we relate to each other, the way that we connect to each other in new ways, and also reimagining this world, creating a vision of the future that we want, and then using art and culture to implement that vision on the ground. So for this first episode, we met up in Santa Rosa um, and we had some really great intergenerational conversations with a mother and daughter, uh, Alicia and Akila, and NBOP youth organizer, Trey. We had some really good conversations around how they're integrating art and culture into their organizing work, specifically in the wake of the North Bay fires that devastated a lot of their communities. Um, Some of the the highlights of the conversations that we had were around the newspaper they created, which is helping to shift some of the narratives. So let's just jump right into that conversation. The whole time, you're not going to be able to see this on the podcast, but I've been looking at all the posters and the art Mm -hmm. and just this physical space, I think, really grounds us Mm -hmm. in what's happening here, you know, um... And that's beautiful. I think that sometimes we take for granted how healing, like, the visuals. Like, I was even saying, like, the greenery and the the window, right? Like, that's healing that we see nature. So thank you for sharing that with us today. And you all mentioned the newspaper earlier. Mm -hmm. It's called Regeneration, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, So I actually managed to get a copy of that when I was here last time. It's like a few months ago. And I was just like, This is amazing because not only was it filled with storytelling, but also it had a lot of art in it, which was really cool to see a cultural product coming out of the community. Um, But I was really interested to hear more about how that process came about. Like, how did you decide to make a newspaper? What does it look like putting together a newspaper? What are your feelings about it? All of that. (laughs) Okay, I'm smiling because it's all her fault. (laughs) Pointing at my mom. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell the story. What happened was, last year sometime, we were 
couple years ago, it wasn't last year, a couple years ago, I was asked to speak at um, and at a program that they were having in Sebastopol, and they were discussing the Black Panthers. I used to be a member of the Black Panthers. And uh, so I was on the panel, and we talked about how important it was. You know, one of the things of the Panthers was getting, make sure they had everybody in the community, they had free meals, they did this, but also getting the papers out so the community was informed what was going on and what was happening. That was a really important part of um, being part of the Panther Party. And um, through that process, when we came back and we, you know, sat down, Annie had this brilliant idea. Wow, if you guys could have done that, we should be able to do that. And, let, you know, let's see if we can put a paper together. So that's when we started sitting down for him, trying to figure out what could go into the paper, what are the needs. And through that, we were able to put in, you know, what's going on with the housing. And uh, and that was that was really important because I, I really feel that the housing came from, the push came from our group, you know, because we had members that had gone out in the community and found out, you know, this is what, this is what the people wanted and you know they were complaining about what was happening in the houses and what was going on so that's when we started having the listening campaigns and you know in people houses and getting people involved so the paper was a really you know important part of um you know being part of the community and getting people involved and it also included artists who were really yeah cuz everyone knows they read the like the sunday Comics most of the time first. That's what you know, you have to you look at that and you're like, oh man, look at all those words. And then you're like, oh wait, this is pictures, this is fun. I know those faces. Yeah. So that's it's actually the first thing that drew me to the papers, the cover with this beautiful, colorful, but then the message, the first line says this paper is for everyone. That means you, mm-hmm. right? And that's so simple, but like to be seen, mm-hmm. right? To say like you're part of our community mm-hmm. with that simple line, like it's pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to me like it's a way to shift a lot of the dominant narratives about our communities. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times our stories are told by other people. Um, so this feels like a way to reclaim our power and reclaim mm-hmm. our stories and put it out to the world. They also shared how they use their newspaper in their recent campaign on housing. So uh, I definitely see that it's important to shift our narrative. What comes to mind right now that happened the most recent was when we were trying to push for Measure C. The opposition who were... So Measure C, I should probably explain, (laughs) was a measure uh, to um, enact rent control uh, or rent stabilization as well as just cause evictions, which really was something that simple as like, you have to have a reason before you evict people. Mm -hmm. And that was all that that portion was. And the same was true for rent stabilization. It was, okay, you can raise it, but it's at a set percentage over time. And you also have to make sure you're taking care of the um, apartment complex that you are um, managing. And so we were trying to push for that. And a lot of money came from um, outside forces and a lot of awesome. real estate <laughs> real estate companies. The narrative that they pushed out because they had so much money was that, well, we're just trying to make it so that people, the other, these bad people, mm. uh, will 
be able to stay in these areas. And we just want to get rid of these gangsters and blah, blah, blah. And this is Santa Rosa, Rona Park, Sonoma County. This is not in an area where there is a huge amount of gang activity. Let's just put it that way. And so um, the newspaper allowed us to put out a different story and really say, like, this is what happened. They had people that they paid to fake or basically, like, what was it? Like, harass people into Mm -hmm. signing to try and end the... um, to end Measure C because the city council had initially went ahead and passed it. And so they had all these people flood the streets, harass people to sign these. And we had to go back out and say, hey, did you know that this is what you were signing? Mm -hmm. Did you know that this is what um, this meant when you signed this? And a lot of people were like, no, they told me that it was actually for stabilization. Mm -hmm. And so then we had to, we ended up being able to mount a pretty good, fight in terms of um, challenging the signatures that they gathered to try and take down the rent stabilization that was put in place. But it still, it was, it was really ugly. And so being able to have that newspaper to combat that and to educate people and to let them know where to go, it really did make it, um, give us some, some strength in that. And, you know, and have, have it both in uh, English and in Spanish was really helpful. Mm-hmm. So you were able to reach a large amount of, of people, you know, and I think it also helped us this time around we're pushing to try to get rent control in this area and why is rent control so important in this area oh (laughs) you know first of all it affects a lot of the seniors and you know i've had you know had members at my church that i was talking to and i was had called to see how she was doing she said i may have to leave she said they've gone up like 150 Mm dollars on her rent and so then so one another person in our organization, the same thing has happened to, you know, to her also. And so the rent is just really, it's ridiculous. You know, you talk about people having problems before the, you know, before the fires. Now, mm-hmm. now that we've had it, you know, people have lost their homes and it's just really, really bad. You know, they just decide, well, let's just go up on this. We can do this. And it's like no control as far as, you know, rent. And that's one of the things that really bothered me is not only affecting, you know, working class people, but people who, you know, they have fixed incomes. And, you know, that's really a concern. It's just like, when you get my age, you throw us away. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when you, you know, when you get up there 60, we should be looking out for our seniors Mm -hmm. and making sure they have a safe space and making sure everything's okay. And they shouldn't have to worry when you're in your 70s or whatever, where am I going to live? What am I going to eat? Or things like that. Yeah. And I think the very first um, story that we ran into was actually when we were doing our walking campaigns just to try and find out what's going on, everybody. Hey, we're here. And just to uh, introduce ourselves. And that's when we came. It was in Santa Rosa apartment complex that had really bad conditions. There was mold. There was rats. And their rent kept going up on, it was almost, was it like a monthly basis? It was, it was, it was a regular occurrence that their rent was just increasing, increasing. And they were basically trying to price everyone out Mm -hmm. and not at the same time, not doing any improvements to the apartment itself. And so you have people who were getting sick from those, from the mice, from the mold, and then still having to pay 
crazy rent. And we're talking about something that was over, it was like 1500 It was a lot. It was a money. lot of money for those, for the apartments that were not taken care of at all. And no reason for them to be able to raise the rent that much. And so, I mean, and that was, and that's when we talked to that particular housing community and we rallied. And when they did it, they were supposed to have another um, rent increase like that coming month. But when they saw that everybody was organizing and everybody was coming together, they said, oh, so then the, the, <laughs> the, the owner was like, oh, well, we, we decided we're not going to do this right now. We, we decided. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not going to do this for, for right now. We're, we're going we're to wait. And, and so that's when the fight really began. Here, Trey lifts up the importance of health and wellness in our communities and how North Bay Organizing Project is holding space for that. Our clinics um, are called Sanación del Pueblo, which is the people's healing. Um, they started up in September 2017 after the rescinding of DACA the first time. Mm. Um, we saw our community was just really shook and um, traumatized. And so for us, it was important to just create a space where healing treatments could be received for people to just kind of like have an outlet for the trauma that people were experiencing. So the first um space was super small we had like an art space a meditation like someone was at there leading meditation and then we had acupuncture and massage mm. and so it was about i think like six practitioners came out maybe seven or eight um and we had i think like 25 folks come through nice. and receive treatments um a lot of undocumented folks a lot of undocumented students were just able to come through and get treatment and kind of just process some of what was happening for them but i think the most one of the most powerful pieces of it was there was just like a, a living room kind of space where everybody was getting acupuncture. And there was one acupuncturist, uh, her name is Lorel. Um, we all love her and appreciate her in our community. And as people were receiving treatment, what we noticed is there was all these conversations happening, right? So they're like feeling good, all like full of these acupuncture needles, but they have these really powerful, important conversations about what the moment was looking like and feeling like them for their families and mm. people's moms were there and they were there with their parents um, and there was bilingual conversation happening, like even people who didn't speak Spanish yeah. were like trying to draw the <laughs> Spanish they knew to just be able to hold space yeah. and that moment I think for us was just a really powerful realization that these um, spaces not only provides like treatments for people, but it's a, a place to create solidarity, right? Like solidarity through healing and process the things that we're going through. Um, because this political moment has, and for 500 plus years has completely traumatized our folks, like we need to be able to have spaces where we're able to heal together and that way we can imagine forward. Yeah. Um, so just in terms of um, what's come out of that September, we've been able to hold seven healing events. Um, we had a string of them back to back after the fires in October, uh, which was really dope in that period of time. Uh, since that period of time, we've seen almost 600 folks have come through and wow. received treatments. Um, around 400 treatments have been given completely free to community. Um, a part of what we do is really centering folks who are the most impacted by oppression mm. and people who have the least access to healing treatments. So um, we center, obviously, uh, folks of color. We center undocumented people. 
we said survivors of violence, any kind of violence, state violence, domestic violence, sexualized violence. Um, we said the queer and trans folks, women folks, and um, formerly incarcerated people. So we just want to really make sure that like the people who are there and able to receive treatments are people who wouldn't ordinarily. Right? Like mm-hmm. if I have. 80 bucks to go get acupuncture then I can go do that right mm-hmm. whereas other people don't have that luxury and yeah. so that, that's been really important for us to uphold and that in and of itself is creating that culture where we're saying this is a way in which we are uh, promoting wellness for our community and for people who are pushed out to the margins of community who are experiencing the health impacts of oppression in the most harsh yeah um so yeah so it's been a really um beautiful experience and um one of the things that i just want to add to that too is just that a big part of our core value is also to like care for each other like to take care mm-hmm. of each other i was talking about those conversations that we're having and in that moment we can really draw together like our political work to healing mm-hmm. so politicizing people through healing so we can talk about like these are the health disparities in our community why is that oh environmental racism mm-hmm. oh like i'm being displaced i have hella stress why is that you know and then we can say well we're working on a rent control campaign right now (laughs) come through and like door dog with us you know and at the same time like receive treatment that's gonna um address why our communities are sick um and the the kind of over encompassing thought or concept with that is that we have to detoxify like, we need to detox from the ways in which, like, sy- systematic oppression, colonization, cis-heteropatriarchy um, has made us all sick. Mm-hmm. And, like, if we just rush into liberation and we're not well, like, mm-hmm. those same systems and harm is going to be recreated and recreated. Um, and so we really feel that, like, the mutual aid work is, is important to uphold at the same time as we're moving um, towards liberation. Yeah, I was just, I was wondering, like, when did that realization happen for North Bay Organizing Project that um, you really needed to center wellness and healing? Mm -hmm. Like, is it something that was always there from the beginning as a core value? Or is it something that you had to learn or incorporate over time? Mm -hmm. I think we've been learning it together and there's been an appetite for it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that um, there was always the vehicle for it per se. And I have to give so much love and props to our folks at the um, Healing Clinic Collective who um, have relationships with and have built with in the past um, out of Oakland um, for really just like being generous and sharing that model with us as well and being able to bring some of that work um, that I had experience with and that other folks in this community have had experience with and, and bring it here and share it here as well. So I would say like that's been a big piece of it and it's just like it was something that as soon as it hit the ground in, in the North Bay and in Santa Rosa, it was just like, man, people were just like so happy for it and really grateful for it, you know? And it, and it takes a lot of work to operate like a clinic. Like even if you think of it in four hours, like that four hours takes like four weeks to prep yeah. really. And even in the aftermath of the fires, the fires happened and literally we had a clinic going within four to five days Mm -hmm. and that was rough to work under that level of um intensity and trauma that was happening but people were just coming out not only to receive treatments but folks were coming from oakland from santa cruz from gilroy and watsonville because they were like yo we want to like support you all and help any way that we can so that was a beautiful opportunity too to just see like solidarity in our movement and it's also a means to um to draw healers and practitioners into political work where there hasn't 
always felt like, at least from what practitioners have shared with us, that there was a way for them to contribute in like a more um, political organizing space mm-hmm. and sort of like build those bridges too has been really powerful. So you've been talking about changing the narrative and and like also just with the rent about like who the people are that are being affected. So I was telling everyone this is my first time in Santa Rosa. So can you tell me a little bit about like who's here? What is the community in Santa Rosa and in the North Bay in general, right? Like um, who, who are we talking about when we say the community, the people? So a lot of people that are in Sonoma County are workers They're com- and commuters like me. Um, <laughs> There, um, because the um, the majority of the jobs that are available here in Sonoma County are jobs that support the tourist industry in this area, mainly wine. We have casinos now, uh, just a lot of things where we can we cater to people who have a lot of money, and so the people who are living here um, are generally supporting those people, <laughs> um, and so that's where the main people are. There is a large um, Hispanic, Latino community in this area. We have an African-American community, but it's rather small. (laughs) (laughs) But if you come to my church, you see a lot more more there. We asked them to describe what the community is like here in the North Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about feeling nostalgic. One thing that I think that really got me involved and pushed me to where I am now is growing up, you know, with my grandparents and things like that. Like every Sunday after church, we would go to someone's house who was sick and we would, you know, either help them, bring them food. And at the time, I'm like, oh, we got to go to that old person's house. You know, and I was like, not happy at all. But, you know, as I got older, I realized the importance of community and you know, the whole thing around family and just being able to support people who needed that. And I think that's that's what's really important. And that has stuck with me, you know, being able to want to help people, to be able to be that salt of the earth. Like, you know, they talk about in the Bible, you know, you want they say if it loses its flavor, what is it, you know? And uh, I really want to be that salt. I want to be there to be able to help people who need it and uh, and to support them. Uh, so not only is the weather beautiful, but then like we have beautiful parks like the Armstrong Woods just and getting to go and see sequoias and redwoods. It's just we have so much greenery in this area that we can that we can go to and enjoy. And then we also have rivers in this in our county. Uh, Russian River is fun that you can go. And it's just like it's nice. Like you can have there's something for everyone like you have outdoors you can do that have fun you can have indoors or uh well that's normally like me staying at home doing that yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which is everywhere <laughs> exactly yeah. but um but then, it's good to know that it's enough yeah <laughs> the best positive parts about nature and the best positive about parts about that, but even community. the people you know i think you know, you look at our whole area, you know, we have a diverse amount of people that live in this area, which is really, you know, a lot to be thankful for and uh, that we can, you know, get together. Yeah, which is why we want to fight, because we have parts of um, Sonoma County that are struggling and that are very poor. 
we have a lot of homeless people that um, we don't have enough resources for. Mm-hmm. And especially after the fires, they're getting pushed further and further to the outskirts of the community. And that's not okay. We did the the state of Sonoma County a few years back, and um, there were parts in Santa Rosa where the education and the health was the same as some of the lowest ranked places in the nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like in Deep South and Appalachia, all of those places. And and it's such a stark contrast because you you have... Billionaires, millionaires coming here for vacationing. Right. <laughs> so you're just like, and they live here. That, that shouldn't, there's something that's not right. And that there's something that they're not being, the money that's coming in is not funneling into really bring up and address the needs of the community. And we need to find ways that that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is showing who's here, right? And like telling mm-hmm. that story in a way that, like, touches people to feel the urgency. And, um, you know, like, thinking about that, like, you know, and and, uh, Alicia, you mentioned, like, the Black Panthers, and I think they're such an example of using cultural strategy, right? Like, and also that time of, like, art, music, affirming people's identities. Um, So given your experience organizing, like, do you think that there's an understanding of the importance of art and culture within organizing today? I think, um, especially since we've had a lot of protests out, mm. um, I think a lot of art is coming from that and a lot of um, people realizing, if I'm going to connect this to social media, I want to make yes. sure this looks good. Yeah. <laughs> My sign better be popping. Right? It has to be funny. It has yeah. to be good. <laughs> so that way I'll get some extra lights and so I can tweet this out. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think it's, it's something that, um, people are, uh, are slowly, like she said, starting to think like, okay, how can we make this so that it's presentable on the, on the larger stage? And then also, um, we, there's, um, supposed to be a March, um, the rise, they're going to do something. Oh yeah, there we go. They're going to (laughs) do that one uh, where they want to do dancing and singing and it's not going to just be a regular march it's like we want to incorporate all of these things because people learn differently and people um, express themselves differently and if we don't have some way to have people who really mainly express one way through either art or a spoken word or just just anything then you're you're missing out on the best part of of society and of people is is really that diversity, that that livelihood, the the life that and the passion that people have. Because you can't just be passionate with just words. I mean, you express it through song, dance. I'm always doing that and movement. Because we're we're I mean, even back down to our primal senses, first way we communicated was with pictures. We never communicated. Well, we probably communicate with words, but. <laughs> <laughs> always going and we always had art and pictures before even words so I think that's why it's important we we need to uh, express and talk and communicate 
other than just words. And listening, you know, I think we the important mm-hmm. point that we haven't really talked about are the youth that are coming up now. It's really important oh, yeah, to pull amazing. them, you know, into the group, into the mix, because they're the next generation. Like I told her, I'm like, too old for this. <laughs> you know, you guys need to step up now. But yeah, um, so we really need to figure out, you know, what are their needs and where do we need to go? You know, how can we, you know, put them in? You're working with a lot of youth now mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, it, it had me thinking just in tying that all together, we're so blessed to have our elders to look to, too, and the work that's been that's been done and the path work that's, that's been laid for us because we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the folks who have continued to fight, you know, for justice and so um, and and they have been doing that, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're calling it, we're calling it cultural strategy, and it, I like it. <laughs> it's clean, yeah. yeah it's clean. It's nice. people, you know, we can all start to get an understanding of it, and then we start to ask our parents and our grandparents, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, cultural strategy. But <laughs> let me tell you about how we do this. Yeah. <laughs> we do these 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 ways of connecting it, and invites a lot of different type of people in, you know. And so I think. The young people love it, right? Because they want to. They want a place to express their creativity too. And a lot of times in the school system, they're not encouraged to do that. Mm-hmm. They're encouraged to sit down, be quiet, and be information banks. You know, yeah. the teacher's going to tell you, you know, that this is how this country happened, and we all celebrate Thanksgiving, and it's all happy and all good, right? Like the, the what do you call it? Like uh, indoctrination, kind of. And so to be able to have a place where art can happen and music and they can express their creativity like that is really, really powerful and transformative. And again, it wouldn't be possible if it weren't for for our elders. And that's why these intergenerational organizing spaces and even at this table, the intergenerational conversation, that's where true change and ideas can happen. And I I think all change starts with imagination. Like you have to create something new um, and that doesn't happen unless you have the space to be able to create something mm-hmm. new. Um, to creating that spaciousness is really important too. Yeah. And I think the benefit of, of, of a cultural strategy is that you're introduced to new cultures and new ideas mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily run into if you weren't involved with someone else that's different from you or has a different background mm-hmm. from you. And that just makes you better and stronger as a person. And as a community overall, if you're able to not just um, have cultures existing, but actually having them interact. What role does culture play in reframing like the idea of voting and who voting is for, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us don't even know the history of voting in this country and like how it's been withheld or denied to people, right? And mm-hmm. um, so what are some ways you think that culture plays such a unique role in like elections right and voting and voter engagement my my parent my parents and uh, well my grandparents they came from the south from new orleans so they was a point in time in their life where they couldn't vote and so when they moved up here and was able to vote that became important as part of our family i mean you know since i was since i was 18 i have not missed an election. I always, I've always voted and I've always felt it was important. I always had my kids vote, you know, we would sit down at the table and discuss, you know, what, you know, what was going on. So they, you know, so they would know. And so I think that's part of the culture is you, you have to train your kids. You have to start off really young and let them know, you know, um, 
about voting and what's going on. You know, like when I, you saw the picture of me and my grandson in the paper, you know, and he wasn't quite a year old. Come on, kid. Come on, go now. Come on. Put the ballot in there. So, you know, you have to train them. They have to know, start off really, you know, young, what's going on. You know, you have to sit down and talk to them about people, what's going on, what's happening, so that they will have a buy-in. And I, I think that's really important. So culture of voting. Um, so I was that child that she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> me, my brother, my sister. Um, so to me, voting has always been important. I mean, just thinking just two generations, three generations ago, I had relatives who couldn't vote. And that's not that far along. That's not that far um, down history. Um, And then I think about all the people who died, like literally died or who have been beaten for me to just mark a piece of paper and put it in a box. And that to me is, it's so insane that they had to do that and to take it, to take that for granted. uh, It's hard for me to not, I mean, it's like, that's why it's so hard for me when people say, oh, uh, well, it doesn't matter, blah, 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 all these other things. It's like, even just to honor the people before. And that's partly my, the culture that I came in. And so I understand that there are people who, who didn't come from that background. And I, I, part of the thing is I, I always say that I'm, you know how they have hopeless romantics. I'm a hopeless democratic person. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I truly believe that, that society would be more reflective of all of the community if everyone participates. Do you remember <laughs> do you remember your first action or event that you ever participated in? You mean when I was a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> and they may come back and get me. <laughs> like you don't tell me the What I love most about uh, cultural strategy is that these forms of art and storytelling have a way of reaching people's minds and hearts um, that goes beyond dialogue. Like dialogue is powerful, um, but but there's also this way that uh, cultural means can really be translated across so many different differences and walks of life and draw people into a conversation in a way that sometimes our differences to conversation can't always Homegrown Power, California's grassroots cultural organizers, is a production of Power California, a 501c3 organization. Power California harnesses the energy of young voters of color and their families to create a state that is equitable, inclusive, and just for everyone who calls California home. Opinions expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position of Power California. To learn more about us and support our work, check out our website at www.powercalifornia.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PowerCA Now.